Several months ago, I went into my backyard after work to grill some chicken legs for my family. And uh, I set the chicken legs next to the grill and uh, popped the grill open and began to clean it. I started to spray some cleaning agent on it and grabbed the brush. And as I was spraying the grill, I heard a noise of something alive. And to my chagrin, I sprayed and I looked down and I saw a rat run out of the bottom of the grill underneath where the grid was, jump out and run away. It scared me half to death. I jumped in the air, I hollered, and then I paused for a minute and realized I was done grilling for the evening. I uh, grabbed the chicken, I closed the grill, I went inside and began to prepare to make the chicken in the oven. Shannon walked in and said, why are you making the chicken in here? I said, I will tell you after dinner because you don't want to know right now. I contemplated what to do with the grill. Should I just uh, set the propane tank on top of it and light it on fire and let it explode in the backyard? But uh, after thinking about it for a while, I disassembled it. I disinfected every component until I felt comfortable grilling on it again. Now, I hesitated to tell you that story this morning for a couple of reasons. One, because if I invite you over to my home, I don't want you to think that we just live in a mess and tangle of rats. The other reason is simply because it's gross. But as I thought about it, I thought, I need to tell the story, and here's why, because it really is a perfect illustration of how sin contaminates us. Uh, It's a perfect illustration because sin not only makes us dirty, not only makes us unclean, but it actually renders us useless for what God is calling us to do. Just as when I walked out to that grill, not only was it contaminated by the presence of that rat, but it was useless to me at that moment. I was not going to use it to cook food for my family when it had been contaminated by a pest. Sin does the same thing. So that biblically, when we talk about holiness, the purpose of Holiness is not simply that we stay away from sin so that we can avoid feeling guilty or so that we can feel better in comparison to others or even so that we don't hurt other people. The reason we stay away from sin is so that we can pursue God and know God and fulfill God's purposes for our lives. When the scripture talks about holiness, it is almost always in the context of fulfilling the purpose of God for our lives. When we talk about holiness, then what we're saying is holiness is being separated from sin and consecrated to God. Jerry Bridges, in his great book, The Pursuit of Holiness, says it exactly that way. Holiness is to be separated from sin and therefore consecrated to God. Holiness is not simply running away from what is evil, but it is pursuing what is right. As we look at the New Testament in particular, we'll see that the motivation, the ground for holiness is quite often that when we pursue what is holy, we are able to more effectively reflect and represent the character of God. So we pursue holiness so we can be like our maker because we're made in his image and designed to reflect him with what we think, what we say, 
and what we do. So that Peter will say in 1 Peter, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. So run away from sin and then pursue holiness. Why? Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And Peter is quoting Leviticus. God said that to the nation of Israel. Why are you called to be set apart? Why have I given you all of these laws and rules and regulations? The reason is fundamentally because as a people, you are called to be God's people, to represent him in the middle of nations that worship idols. For the Christian people, we are called to represent him in the middle of a world that is filled with pride, with lust, with bitterness, with anger, with greed. And so all through the New Testament, when we talk about holiness in the life of a Christian, holiness is intended to make us useful to God. And that is the primary emphasis of 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 to 26, that holiness actually makes us useful to God. Paul has been saying to Timothy, Timothy, there in Ephesus, you have a mission, and your mission, Timothy, is to make disciples. Timothy, preach the good news of Jesus Christ in your community, and then gather some faithful men together to whom you can teach about Jesus. Teach those men who will teach other men who will teach other men. Remember, that's the concept of the exponential growth of God's people and the exponential growth of their faith. That task of discipleship, Paul will say in this passage, requires holiness. That when we are embroiled in sin, Paul will say, that reduces and even neutralizes our effectiveness in the task of the Great Commission. Sin contaminates and can render us ineffective. When I was a student at A&M, I lived one year in a dorm where two rooms shared one bathroom. It was one of those suites type of dorms. So there were two guys in each room so that when you walked into your bathroom, you could hear the conversations going on in your suite mate's room. And uh, one evening, one Friday or Saturday night, I happened to be home and I went into the bathroom and I overheard a conversation going on in my sweet mate's room. And my sweet mate was discussing with some friends the gospel. And I didn't know that this guy was a Christian at all, but he was talking to them about the death and resurrection of Jesus and about the historical veracity of the scriptures. And his friends were skeptical and they were doubting the truth of the word of God. And, And my sweet mate was saying, I'm going to talk to you about this and I can demonstrate this to you. And I thought he's making such wonderful arguments and it would all be so much more effective if you weren't sloppy drunk right now. Because what he was doing at that moment was undermining the effectiveness of his words. Because if God who raised Jesus from the dead was not having an impact in his life to overcome sin. Then as he spoke, the testimony of his words lost its impact. And so Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, set yourself apart 
from sin and pursue the love, the peace, the purity, and the holiness of God so you can be ready to fulfill His purposes. Timothy, very much like you and me, was living in the middle of a culture that was pagan, that was idolatrous, that was lustful, filled with sexual immorality, filled with violence. And Paul knew that Timothy would struggle, like us, with the temptation to simply engage in or accept the behaviors of the culture around him. And it was true in Timothy's day, as it is true in our day, that many times those who know Jesus Christ do not act or think or live substantially different from the world around us. I read a book a few years ago by Ronald Sider. It was called The Scandal of the Evangelical Conscience. And Ron Sider looked at statistics about Christians and evangelicals in comparison with the rest of our culture and found, and this was a few years ago, but it still holds true, that when it came to certain measures like generosity, like divorce, like abuse in the home, like viewing pornography, they found that the church was often not that much different from the culture that surrounded us. Yeah, Timothy will say, or Paul will say to Timothy, Timothy, in order for us to be useful in God's service, we are called to pursue holiness. And to be clear, Paul does not suggest that we have to be perfect. Paul does not suggest that if we sin or have sinned, we are no longer ever useful again. But instead, he says, recognize that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, all who have trusted in him not only have eternal life, but actually have the power to live in obedience to God and reflect his character and therefore speak when God calls us to speak about the good news of Jesus Christ. Holiness allows us to be in touch with God's character, in touch with God's spirit, and to carry credibility before those with whom we share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's where we are headed as we look at 2 Timothy 2. And as we dive into verses 20 to 26, for each of us this morning, the question to sort of lock into our heads is, are there areas of my life in which I need to flee sin and pursue righteousness? To flee sin and pursue righteousness. As you think about your life, as you think about what fills your mind, what you look at, what you think about, what you read, what you say, how you operate at work, how you treat your spouse, your kids, where are those areas where you say, I need the help of God to pursue holiness? And we will look at how to engage in the task of pursuing holiness as we walk through 2 Timothy 2, 20 to 26. So begin with me in verse 20. Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. So the first thing that Paul says is, Timothy, pursue holiness. Uh, The illustration that he uses is really a very simple one and one that we all should recognize, that in a big house, there are different kinds of containers. 
In the ancient world, they would have containers of gold and silver that were reserved for special occasions. When you had a dignitary coming over, when you had a guest in your home, you would pull out the fine gold and silverware. There were other containers that were used for garbage or dirt or food waste or other types of things that you would throw out of your home. They were made of clay or wood. And he says those are reserved for dishonorable purposes. And in fact, sometimes they would take those clay ones when they got too dirty and they'd simply shatter them and bury them in the dirt and go get another one because they weren't going to reuse the dirty vessel for some other purpose. So they would destroy it. Some of you, uh, when you got married, you registered for formal China. Uh, not many people do this as much anymore, but Shannon and I did. We went to J.C. Penney or something like that, and we sat down and we looked at, it felt like hundreds of China patterns to determine which China pattern we needed to get for plates that we would never use because they were set apart, right? And so they set in a cabinet. And the idea used to be that you would take that china down on special occasions. Maybe if the president came over to your home, you would pull them out and you would utilize the fine china. It wasn't for everyday purposes. I was also remembering how when I was a kid, uh, we had a plate at my home and it was called the special plate. Uh, And it was just a red plate that my mom had purchased that uh, became the plate you got to eat on if it was your special day. If you got good grades or you got first chair in the band or it was your birthday for something special. We could not eat on the special plate at any other time other than when something special was going on, or I suppose if there were no other dishes clean to eat off of, right? It was reserved for an honorable purpose. Paul says some vessels are reserved for honorable purposes. Others, on the other hand, are not. They're for dishonorable purposes. Imagine for a moment if you came into my home and I said, tonight we're having filet mignon and I'm going to cook it in the oven, not on the grill, right? So it's going to be fantastic. And you come in and I say, this is going to be the best steak you've ever had. You sit down, you are ready to eat. And then I say, I can't find a plate. And so I grab the cat's bowl and I drop your filet mignon in the cat's bowl and say, bon appetit. You would lose your appetite relatively quickly because the cat's food bowl is not for that honorable occasion. So Paul says there are vessels for honor, there are vessels for dishonor. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to be vessels of honor. We are called to be set aside for the honorable purposes of God. So he says, Timothy, look, stay clean so you can be useful for God's purposes. Stay away from sin and pursue righteousness because, Timothy, you need to be ready at a moment's notice to proclaim the gospel, to talk about the character of God, to go where God is calling you through his spirit. And the way to be useful in that regard is to stay away from sin and pursue righteousness through the power of the spirit because you're a vessel, Timothy, for an honorable purpose, the most honorable purpose in the world, to proclaim the good news of the only Son of God. So Timothy, be equipped, be ready. How do you do that? He says, first of all, you run away from sin. Flee youthful lusts. 
Timothy was most likely a relatively young man, even still while this book was being written, maybe in his 30s, at the oldest, maybe in his early 40s. And so Paul uses this phrase, youthful desires. Uh, It's not only referring to sexual lust, but this Greek word has the idea of all desire that you might have that is youthful, Timothy, that might cause you to run away from God. He says, run away from those things, whether it's greed. In certain contexts in the pastoral epistles, in fact, in 1 Timothy, Paul will tell Timothy, flee from youthful lusts right in the context of greed for money. Run away from greed for money, Timothy. Run away from sexual immorality, Timothy. Run away from, in this context, quarrels and anger and bitterness and the pride of youth, Timothy, that makes you think you always must win and always must be right. You run away from that. Many times in the New Testament, this word flee is used in relation to the devil or sin. And the clearest connection to the Old Testament of course, is the story of Joseph himself. When faced with the temptation of Potiphar's wife, what did he do? He turned and he ran away. And the idea is, Timothy, you turn and you run away from sin because sin is a contaminating agent in your life. Don't let rats camp out on your grill, but run away. I have a friend whose daughter is deathly allergic to peanuts. Some of you may be allergic to peanuts or have a child who is. And for him and for his family, what they found is uh, she cannot even interact with uh, anything that contains peanuts. So he can't sit on his sofa and eat a granola bar that has peanut butter. If she's in a classroom and a worker is eating peanuts, she has to leave. If she touches anything containing peanuts, it can send her into an allergic reaction that can lead to her death. And so there's no small amount of peanuts in their home that is okay. And similarly, Paul would say, Timothy, there's no small amount of greed, small amount of bitterness or pride, small amount of lust that is going to be okay. Where you see it, Timothy, you run away and you ask for wisdom from the God of the universe who made you to run away. You flee from youthful lusts. Stay away from it. And then he goes on and he says, Timothy, not only do you run away from youthful lust, not only do you flee, but you chase after righteousness. Look at how he phrases this in verse 22. Now flee from youthful lust and pursue, chase after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. In other words, holiness, Timothy, is not only about what you don't do, it's about what you pursue. Because if all we focus on is deprivation, then holiness will be an unpleasant, extremely difficult affair. Some of us in this room know what it feels like to be on a diet, don't we? And diets are the worst. They're just the worst. You never see a really happy person on a diet, do you? If you see a friend and you say, how are you doing? They say, I'm on a diet. You don't go, congratulations, do you? You say, I'm, I'm really sorry, but I'm still going to eat this cookie, right? I'm still going to have it. Because why? Diets are about deprivation. Typically, it is, right, no sugar, no cookies, no Doritos, no fried chicken, no Mexican food, 
nothing you like may you eat. No fun, no happiness, no joy. That is the emphasis. We will take away what you love. Often I think that's how we think about holiness, isn't it? God says, stay away from lust. Stay away from pride. Stay away from anger. You can't even flip someone the bird once on the highway. You say, but I like that. I enjoy it. It feels satisfying to me to get angry. A little bit of sin. Say, man, it feels really good. And so we view holiness as deprivation. I have to sit in my room and do nothing but read the Bible and sing old hymns and do unpleasant things. What Paul says is this. You run away from sin, but you pursue righteousness, faith, Love and peace along with those who call on God with a pure heart. That idea of purity is the idea of cleansing that we saw earlier in the passage. Clean yourself up from sin so that you can chase after what is right and good. How many of us in this room would say, I don't want to have a life of peace or love? or righteousness. I don't want my life to be filled with good things that reflect the character of God. All of us want that. And if we're honest, when we see people who are enslaved by sin, enslaved in their sexual lust, enslaved by their greed, enslaved with how they eat or drink, those are not joyful, peaceful, righteous men and women that we say, I want to emulate and be like. Paul says, as we pursue holiness, the idea is we become captivated with the character of God. And more and more we recognize God wants what is best for us because God knows what we were designed for. We were designed to know him. We were designed to worship him. We were designed to be loving and kind like he is loving and kind. We were designed to trust him because he controls the universe. And so we run away, yes, from sin, but we pursue what is good. Ask yourself, where are these areas in your life of unholiness? Consider how you think on a daily, weekly basis, how you respond to the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that come into your mind, thoughts of anger towards someone who has wronged you, and that anger is hardening into bitterness. Think about the things that you fill your eyes and your mind with as you look at your computer or your television in those moments when nobody else is around. Think about how you use your money. How you interact with your coworkers and the degree of honesty or lack of integrity that you have. And ask, does it reflect the good character of God? Does it reflect the perfect character of Jesus Christ who died for me and rose again so that I can be empowered by His Spirit to reflect and worship and proclaim Him? Where are those areas? where you say, I need to pursue holiness with more diligence. We'll talk in a few moments about how 
to begin that process. Paul says, Timothy, pursue holiness. And then he says, as you pursue holiness, then you can prepare for action. Look at verses 23 to 26. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. This reminds us of last week's passage about quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant to them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Paul says, Timothy, being holy will equip you for usefulness. A young man who's holy, Timothy, will avoid the quarrelsome tendencies of those around you to always fight over small issues like we talked about last week. He says, no, Timothy, you pursue the character of God who is loving and pursues reconciliation and is kind and is patient toward us. And you, even toward these enemies, Timothy, treat them that way as you reflect the character of your God. Pursue holiness and then you get ready for action because as you pursue holiness, that's going to make you a better explainer of the gospel. That's going to make you a better reflector of the character of God so that you can enter into these discussions, Timothy, and be productive. You prepare yourself for action. Uh, One of my favorite movies from the 1980s, and I may have told you this before, is the original Karate Kid starring Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. And for those who may not have seen it, the plot centers around a young high school man uh, named Daniel, a young boy named Daniel, and he's being picked on at his school by the high school karate gang. Everybody remembers those kids from high school, right? The bad karate gang that roamed the halls and picked on small kids. Well, that's what's happening to Daniel. He's just getting beat up. Uh, It turns out that the building superintendent at his apartment complex, though, is a karate master from Japan, Mr. Miyagi. And he agrees to train and teach Daniel in the ways of karate. And you may remember the first part of the movie. There's this sequence where all Mr. Miyagi does is give Daniel uh, seemingly menial, meaningless tasks. Like sand the floor. or what, Yes, sand the floor, right? Wax on, wax off, wax my car, paint the fence, paint the house. And he spends days well into the night doing these tasks for Mr. Miyagi. And finally he gets sick of it and he says, look, you're not teaching me karate. All you're doing is using me as a slave. Daniel says, I'm out of here. And there's that scene where Miyagi says, Daniel, son, come here. Right? So he walks over and he goes, show me, sand the floor. Show me, wax on, wax off. Show me, paint the fence. And he shows him how to do those motions correctly. And lo and behold, he's been learning karate for weeks, doing all of these menial tasks. Because the menial tasks, the day-to-day tasks, were preparing him for action in a way he didn't see even in the moment. That is why Paul calls Timothy to holiness. Timothy, day after day after day, you practice the discipline of holiness. You fill your mind with God's Word. You fill your heart and your mind with the Spirit of God by spending time in prayer. You run away from sin and you pursue the character of God. So when that moment comes, Timothy, you're ready. You're prepared 
for action. That is the value of holiness as Paul talks to Timothy. Some of you will recognize the name Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor uh, is one of the most famous British missionaries from the 19th century who went into China, into inland China, and established the Chinese Inland Mission. Hundreds of missionaries followed Hudson Taylor over the course of the next several decades. And a number of years ago, I was reading a biography of Hudson Taylor, and what struck me was his preparation to go to the mission field. He decided, I want God to use me, and so I will practice here in England what it looks like to trust God when I don't have much money. So instead of asking people for money, he would, he would pray, and he would pray, and he would pray, God, provide, and God would provide, and that strengthened his trust. He lived in obscurity, at times in isolation, because he knew that's how he would have to live in China. And he practiced trusting God with very little. That is the practice of holiness for Hudson Taylor. So that he went to China prepared and ready to trust God. Paul says, Timothy, run away from sin and pursue Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, a passage we've come to a few times throughout our study of 2 Timothy. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Paul is saying fundamentally the same thing to Timothy. You cast aside sin, you fix your eyes on Jesus and who he is and what he's done, and you run in that direction so that when he calls you to a task, you're ready to roll. For many of us, we aren't going to be called upon to do some great and dramatic task where everybody will know our name. But we are called upon for those daily and weekly disciplines of holiness to be ready to share Jesus with a neighbor, to answer, as Peter says, for the hope that we have at the office or in our classes to explain why we don't steal or cheat when all those around us do it to get ahead, to explain why we don't look at or watch certain things, even when it's easy to do. Paul says, you cast aside sin, and then through the power of the Spirit, you run toward Jesus Christ. Anybody who grew up in church grew up hearing the story of Daniel and the lion's den one of the most powerful testimonies of the Old Testament of a man who trusted God because when King Darius made a law, nobody could pray to anybody except the king for 30 days. Daniel went and faithfully prayed to God. He opened his window knowing it was public, knowing the law, and he prayed to God and he's arrested and he's tossed into the lion's den and he was bold and God saved him from the mouth of the lions. And I used to hear that story and like most people, I thought, I want to be like that. I want to have that type of boldness that when that type of moment comes, people will say, we really liked Matt. He was so bold and brave. Right up to the moment, the lions ate him. He was brave. 
God saved Daniel. Of course, Daniel didn't know in advance what was going to happen, but he trusted in God. But what we often forget is where Daniel's character was constructed. It was constructed years before that moment. When he was back in Jerusalem, worshiping God in obscurity. And then the first time we really see Daniel in the book of Daniel, we see him making a decision toward holiness to trust God. If you remember, the king says, everybody's going to eat my meat. Everybody's going to eat what we serve. The problem was for Daniel, all of that meat was sacrificed to idols. And for a Jewish man like Daniel to eat meat sacrificed to idols that was unclean was a sin. And so Daniel went and he said, look, can we for 10 days, can we just eat vegetables? Right? And, the, and the captain who was over him said, I don't know about that. And Daniel said, look, if, if God does not preserve us through these 10 days and even make us fatter, right? I, I love the Old Testament because fatter was a great thing. They wanted to be it. It says, if God does not help us gain weight through these 10 days, then we'll go back to the other diet. And he trusts God for 10 days as everybody else is eating meat and he's munching on celery because he believed that holiness would prepare him for God's service. So Daniel cultivated the quiet practice of holiness. So when the big moment came, he was prepared. That's what Paul says to Timothy. You prepare yourself for action by knowing God, by separating from sin, and pursuing the righteousness, faith, and love, and peace of Jesus Christ. So I ask again, are we doing that in our lives? Through the power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, are we asking Him to show us areas where we need to pursue holiness and separate from sin? Are we submitting to Him? Are we obedient? Again, not perfect, but obedient day by day to listen to His conviction. It may be that you're thinking, okay, how do I begin to pursue holiness? If holiness makes us useful to God and ready for action, where do I start? Just a few thoughts. Where do we begin? First of all, evaluate. Evaluate your life. Psalm 139, David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And most of us are really bad at self-evaluation. We generally think that we are doing okay, even if we are not. And even if we know we're not doing okay, we tend to rationalize. Our walls come up because none of us likes to admit that we are living or acting in a way that is at odds with the Spirit of God. So we ask for God to reveal those things to us. And even I would encourage you, ask those who know you well, do you see areas in my life where I need to grow? Ask your spouse. Ask a roommate. Ask a friend. If you're really brave, ask your children. They will know. Where are those areas where I need to separate myself from sin and pursue the righteousness and holiness of God? Uh, In his book about holiness, Jerry Bridges gives us 
four questions to ask about any practice or thought or habit as we evaluate our lives. One is this, is it helpful? 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, everything may be beneficial, but uh, excuse me, everything may be permissible, but not everything is beneficial or helpful. Will this help me to know God better? Is it helpful? Does it control me? Is there some habit, whether it's something I eat, something I drink, something I see, something I look at, a favorite TV show, does it control my life where I say, without that, I will be anxious, frustrated, stressed, unable to trust God? Does it control me? He says, everything may be permissible, but I will not be mastered by anything because we have one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it hurt somebody else? Does my practice of something lead to the spiritual, emotional, or even physical hurt of another person made in God's image? And then lastly, does it glorify God? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as we evaluate our lives, I think all of us would acknowledge that there are many areas where we don't match up to the character of God, if we're honest. And that leads us to conviction. And so after we evaluate, then what do we do? We submit. James 4 tells us to submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to what God is doing in your heart. Come before him on a daily basis and confess, God, I I don't want to submit to you. So I pray, help me to submit to you. If we're honest, many of the reasons uh, that we do not run away from sin is because we like it. And so we stay where sin is in arm's reach so we can grab just enough of it from time to time. While the Spirit of God calls and says, run the other direction toward life and peace and righteousness toward Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, practice. Practice. One of our daughters is taking piano lessons right now. And when I was taking piano lessons, they used to always say, practice makes perfect. I said that one day. It just kind of came out of my mouth. She was practicing. I said, practice makes perfect. And she looked at me and she said, practice makes progress. I thought, I like that a lot better. I've never played a piano piece perfectly. I've never done anything perfectly with perfect motives with a perfect heart. I've never had a perfect day. But practice makes progress as I submit my life to the conviction of God's Spirit. Romans chapter 6, verse 13 says, Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of of righteousness. Each day I say, God, I I will not present my members as instruments of sin, but instead, God, take my hands, take my feet, take my mind, take my lips, and use them as yours. That's why we pray that way at the beginning of every service. God, take our minds, take our hearts, take our bodies. We present the members of ourselves to you 
for righteousness and we want to wake up tomorrow morning and do the same thing and Tuesday morning and do the same thing over and over again, not because we have an illusion of perfection, but because we want to draw closer to God so we can be more and more useful in His service. Holiness makes us useful for God's purposes. Paul says, Timothy, if you want to have an impact on those around you for the kingdom of God, pursue holiness. Pursue the life I've called you to. And then be ready for action. We're about to celebrate communion. And as the men come forward, here's what I want us to think about for just a minute as the elements are being passed out. As you evaluate your life, be honest, there is likely some area of your life right now, some way in which you think, some way in which you speak, something you do with your hands and your feet and your body that you say, I know that is displeasing to God. That area of your life pops up right away. And so as you feel that conviction of the Spirit, and as we move toward communion, ask God to show Him, show you, through His power, how to run away from sin and pursue holiness. Communion is a great illustration of the righteousness and holiness of God. And here's what I mean, that uh, communion illustrates to us that God is perfectly holy. God has never had a sinful thought, never done a sinful thing, never done anything wrong. You and I are unholy and separate from Him, and we need His intervention. And so what we celebrate in communion is that God bridged that gap through Jesus Christ, that He gave His only Son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life, and then Jesus died on a cross for all of our unholiness so we could be forgiven. And then burst out of the grave after three days, defeating sin, defeating death, so that as we celebrate communion, we remember what he's done. If you don't know Jesus Christ, the message of communion this morning for you is that that is what God has done. And no matter how unholy or dirty or contaminated you feel, no matter how many rats are camping out on your grill, God made provision to clean you up. God made provision to give you all you need to have eternal life and to know him. And for those who believe in him, we have security of eternal life and then the ability to pursue holiness, to be useful in God's service. So as we prepare for communion, prepare our hearts for holiness and ask God to show us those areas where we need to transform and to give us the strength to do so. First Corinthians 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray. Father, we praise you this morning because although you are holy and we are sinful, you closed the gap and removed it completely through Jesus Christ. We praise you that our sin has been removed and now we pray that in practice it would be true of us what you have already made true of us through Jesus. That we are declared righteous and now we pray through the power of your spirit, make us righteous, make us holy. As we know that we are saved by your grace but called to a task to represent you in the world, I pray we would do that faithfully with the strength you provide. In the name of Jesus, by the power of your spirit, we pray this. Amen.